I'm joined by one championship commentator, the Dragon, Mitch Chilson. Mitch, how are you doing, my friend? I'm, I'm good, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here with you today. Awesome. Um, so how are you doing out there? How's pandemic life been for you? Oh, man, it's been wild, bro. Um, I'm, I'm, I originally, I lived in Manila for the past four years. And one championship called me and they said, we want you to come to Singapore in October to do the events. And I was concerned because me and my fiance weren't married yet. So I, if I left Manila, I wasn't going to be able to get back in. So I had to close my gym. I had to close my coffee shop and I moved to Singapore in October. Luckily, one championship hooked me up. They gave me a full-time job and now I'm moving back to Singapore. Uh, so now I'm going to transfer my fiance and my cat um, and we're going to, we're going to live in Singapore and uh, we're really excited. I'm, I'm glad to be part of Evolve or uh, sorry, not Evolve, not, <laughs> uh, one championship full-time now. Yeah. And it's, it's been a crazy adventure and, you know, uh, I like Singapore so much. It's it feel, Singapore actually feels like home more than any other city in the world. Cause I lived here from 2005 to 2014 and I went to, then I went to Malaysia and then to the Philippines and now back to Singapore. So Singapore is, it's always going to be a, like a second home for me. So you mentioned obviously one championship there. How much of a change has it been for you to commentate with no fans? Oh, dude, the fans, man. I miss the fans, you know? Um, I miss the energy, the, cause it's, it's weird, right? Like the, like the, when the, sh when a show starts, right. I feel small amounts of adrenaline the same way I would like during a fight, like yeah. before a fight, you're all nervous and anxious and you're getting ready to put on a performance. And I felt that with the, when I went going to an arena and start with the prelims and then the main card with our opening ceremonies are always these giant extravagant events and I get this surge of adrenaline and the fans are screaming and it really pumps you up you know but now um it's a lot more subdued you know like we're no longer yeah. um circle side or ringside. you know now we're high up into the bleachers now we have like a studio and before it was actually I was doing it just in a studio because we were doing it remotely and it was, it was tough, man. I miss it. I miss the fans. I miss the energy. I, I really miss um, the week with the athletes because the athletes are quarantined. Um, they have very, um, they're very isolated during you know, the, the time that they're here. And so I don't even get to speak to them. The only way I get to speak to them is, is online like this, yeah. you know? Um, and I miss that. I miss like, sometimes I would just be able to go down and train with the guys and roll with them and hit pads with them. And it was fun, you know, and I really miss, um, everything, but I'm also grateful that we still get to do it. It's just been amazing the way one championship has been able to kind of come together and still put on regular events amidst all this chaos that's been going around in the world. So, um, I do hope things get back to normal when we get to you know, uh, enjoy shows the way they're supposed to be because there's nothing like a live one championship event. I asked one of the UFC commentators about this, um, John Gooden. Um, has anything changed about the way you do your job because of having no fans? It's probably a bit different for you because you're 
further away from the cage now, but is there anything you have to do differently? Um, not so much, you know, like I, I really feel like there's the, the, there's maybe more research now because I'm here full time and I don't have my other gym. So this is all I do is, is study the athletes and their styles and um, learning my own martial arts, own jujitsu also makes me a better commentator. Um, but not really, bro. Like maybe I don't scream as much like, <laughs> as loud, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, a live event, but when I'm in the ring or the circle, I'm yelling, right. I'm like, you know, and hey, you're a winner, you know, like it's a Singapore makes them like, it's a loud type yeah. thing, you know? So now I'm a lot more quiet, you know? Um, but that's, that's kind of it, you know, um, it becomes a little bit more personal because the, the, the setting is more intimate and I feel maybe a closer connection with the camera. Um, and we're talking to a camera rather than just talking on the mic, you know, so it's a little bit different in some of those aspects, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty much the same as far as the, the overall job is concerned. So the last few or last few months, I guess, um, the events have been tape delayed. Um, what's this process been like for you? Uh, it's, well, the, the tape delays are different, you know? Like it used to be like one big show, you know? So everything would be uh, just all at once, right? The energy, the, you know, cause it went like this, right? You started in the prelims and then it kind of went like this, right? But now it's like three or four shows at once, right? So it's, it's weird, right? So like, you have to go like this. You know, so it's this constant, like adrenaline, like high and then dump, right? You're getting really excited. And they're coming back. You're really, so it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, it's weird a little bit not to be able to talk about, you know, the, 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 the matches yeah. after they happen and everything like that. But I think it's, it's a new way to look at MMA, right? Like we're, we're creating a lot more content and the shows are smaller. So I think actually some of our fans seem to really like it, especially the new ones. Like if you watch a regular show, they were like three, four hours long, you know, and you had to you, <laughs> you had to sit through a lot to see your best athletes, but now they're, they're shorter, they're more condensed. And I kind of like this two hour format. Um, it's been a challenge, you know, and I think there's going to be, you know, pros and cons as far as like the hardcore fans go, you know, um, but I mean, we'll see, hopefully this thing gets sorted out and, but either way, man, I'm so, I'm just so impressed. Like we've actually been able to do this, you know, consistently put out shows and really, really entertaining matches. So, uh, I'm excited either way. I know you're a busy man, obviously full-time with one now but what interest do you have sort of away from martial arts well i mean my big my big interest has always been kind of fighting and fitness like i've always kind of those have always been my two main interests uh i i mean it's like they're there's there's such passions of mine that i've managed to turn them into occupations you know and that's that's when you really truly have that freedom is to when you really enjoy what you're doing. And it's, it's all mostly about like nutrition, strength and conditioning, physical therapy. Like I have all those sorts of things, yeah. but kind of my, <laughs> my biggest hobby and kind of my only hobby is finance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've over the past six or seven years, I've become like enamored with the world of finance, the stock market and crypto specifically. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. I, I spent so like for most of the day, right? I'm focused on fitness and martial arts. But then right around 930, when the stock market's about to open, um, I spend from 930 till about one, sometimes two or three, depending on upon the day of the market has <laughs> just focusing on stocks and crypto. And uh, those are kind of my two like those three things, finance, fighting, and fitness, and food are kind of my big uh, <laughs> interests at the moment, man. But uh, what about you? Are you into? What are you into? Just a lot of sports. Um, I'm interviewing you. Yeah. Come on. This is your interview. You're not supposed to be interviewing me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Force of habit. Force of yeah. habit. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of sports though, and obviously I'm studying for my degree at the minute, so. What are you studying? Um, Sports, media, and business. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great field to be in. Um, So before we move on to your career and talk about some one championship, tell me about Fight Shape. Dude, Fight Shape, man. When I was in San Francisco, me and my buddy were... uh, we were jogging to Kizar Stadium, which is a stadium in San Francisco. And he's like, dude, I had this idea for this website called Fight Shape. And it's it's basically how people can prepare for fights by fighters. And I was like, this is great. And this is like in 2003. And he bought the website. He bought the domain. And we just started working on it. And over time, Fight Shape became this process of not necessarily just for fighters, right? Because in my head, I think everybody's fighting for something, right? Some people might be fighting stress. Some people might be fighting an opponent. Some people might be fighting battles at work. Some people might be fighting cancer or back pain or want to run a marathon, but we all fight for something. And Fight Shape is about getting into the best possible shape that you can. And so what I did is I created a system of basically analyzing somebody's current shape, right? Whether they're they're movement imbalances and they just do three simple tests and it gives you an idea of where their limitations are. And if we can fix those limitations, you're gonna progress a lot more quickly. Most people like to focus on things they're good at, right? If you're flexible, you like to stretch, you like to do yoga, if you're strong, you like to do weights and, you know, you like to, you know, do CrossFit and high intensity things. If you're, you know, if you have great cardio, you like to run. Rarely do people focus on things they're bad at. And that's kind of what Fight Shape does is it helps you understand where you currently are and then how to get to where you want to go by combining uh, corrective exercise, like physical therapy type stuff. I ripped off a bunch of physical therapists and I stole all their exercises. <laughs> and I was like, I want to put this into a strength and conditioning program. And it's just, it's been amazing. You know, um, I've really like fitness has taken me all over the world. Martial arts has always kind of been my passion, but fitness has kind of been my occupation. I'm more known for the the fighting because that's what I did. I competed, but I just, I was able to compete just because I was in good shape, you know, like I remember Chachri one day, he was like talking to Kruyad Tong, the grandmaster of Sidya Tong. And he's like, man, I wish we would have found you 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, so we could have turned you into a, a serious Muay Thai fighter. And I was like, man, I wasn't this type of athlete. 
15 years ago. You know, I had to be built into this process. And that's kind of what happened for me is that fight shape enabled me to accomplish my goals. And I hope um, over time is that fight shape can help other people do the same thing. You know, whether you want to just relieve back pain, run a marathon or lose 20 pounds. Um, I hope that uh, fight shape can get out there and help some people do it. So I wrote, I wrote a book. So I'm in the process of refining it and trying to get it published and the website, of course, and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Talk us through your background growing up in Seattle and then what attracted you to martial arts for the first time. Um, well, martial arts was my mom's doing. <laughs> I didn't have a choice, Stephen. Like, <laughs> my mom dragged me to class. Like, the last thing a kid wants to do on their weekend is go get their butt whooped by a bunch of grown men, right? And that's what my mom did. My mom would drag me to kendo, judo, karate classes, you know, all these Japanese martial arts, because she thought it would instill like the values of martial arts in me, right? Honor, respect, integrity, you know, these things that build you into good men and, or women. And, and she made me do it. You know, I used to, I remember coming up with all sorts of excuses, like my, I was injured and I was mm -hmm. sick and I couldn't go, but you know, no matter the, no matter the excuse, my mom always made me go. So it was just something that I, I had to do when I was a kid. But then when I was 18, um, I had to defend myself in like a self-defense situation. Like I was attacked yeah. and I realized that I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is all for a reason. Right. And I'd always liked the movies as a kid. Right. I'd always enjoyed, um, you know, Van Damme movies and Bruce Lee movies and yeah. Jackie Chan movies. And um, I, I wanted to uh, essentially do that. Like I wanted to be that type of superhero. And I just kept going. Like, and then I remember when I was 18, I started to branch out and started to look at other forms of martial arts. Like um, I remember I saw the first uh, UFC, yeah. you know, and, and I saw that and I, in my head, I was, I was still kind of closed-minded. I just thought that the strikers weren't doing it right. <laughs> I wish I would have, I wish I would have went, wow, this jujitsu stuff, I have to learn this BJJ stuff, right? But I kind of went the other way. You hear all about those times when, you know, like Kenny Florian or these, you know, these new guys are like, these guys in the US are like watching UFC and they see it and they go, wow, I have to learn this ground fighting yeah. stuff. Not me. Not me. I was like, no, the karate dude is getting it wrong. You know, <laughs> he's not doing it right. You know? And so I, I started to study more. Like I started, I went to a school in Chinatown that was associated with like, there was a kind of a, a an urban legend that Bruce Lee trained at this yeah. school. So I went there and found that. And I started studying kickboxing and Muay Thai. And I still only stuck with the stand-up martial arts. And I, I started to go around. And then in 2001, I was like, okay, I have to learn this BJJ stuff, right? I got to learn mixed martial arts. I can't just be a one-dimensional guy. And I went to Kirkland, Washington. And my first mixed martial arts school was AMC. Yeah. Yeah. And I walked into this school and in the ring is no joke, Maurice Smith and Josh Barnett <laughs> and Matt Hume is in the corner screaming at them 
And I could not believe who I was looking at, right? Because these are like the legends from, you know, Pride in Japan. I was like, oh. I was just in awe. And I was like, okay, let's, let's sign up. Let's take some classes. And I remember trying jujitsu. I just found it so awkward and weird. And so I went back to Muay Thai and um, I did more Muay Thai. And I started to compete uh, in just amateur uh, kickboxing things. And then I moved to San Francisco and I got more into Muay Thai. Yeah. Um, so how cool is it now, obviously, working with Matt Hume at one a little bit? Oh, man. It's, it was like, uh, <laughs> like it all goes in a circle, yeah. you know? It was, um, I was shocked when I first saw that he was um, signed up, you know, to, to work closely with one championship. And I remember, you know, the first time he came down, I was like, man, I was like, do you remember me, you know? And he's like, yes, I, I remember you. <laughs> and uh, we started training together. And then I actually, um, I did a camp. I went back to uh, Seattle and I did a training camp in 2013 at AMC um, with Demetrius Johnson, with Bibiano Fernandez, with Matt Hume. And I got to train with them for about six weeks. Um, and it was amazing. It was uh, kind of that final, you know, came around full circle and uh, it was an amazing experience and he's just an incredible teacher you know he's just this he because very few coaches can do what they're talking about right and he can physically do all the stuff that he's talking about and it's just so impressive to work with him he's just got more knowledge in his head than you know most people will learn you know over several lifetimes so uh, it's been fun it's been fun bro <laughs> How often do you get back over there then to Seattle or San Francisco? Oh man, before it was a lot, you know, I haven't been back, you know, probably since 2019, you know, so whenever I do go back, I try to go up there and, um, and at least get in a, a couple of workouts with those guys. Um, you know, but I, I hope to go back more, but right now it's obviously difficult to yeah. travel. I hope to get married sometime this year. So, and we want to get married in the States. So um, me and my fiance hope to go to Seattle and I hopefully I can see them and then we'll go down to San Francisco and get married and all that stuff. Where are your favorite spots in Seattle? Oh man, <laughs> uh, obviously Alki. Like I love the beach at Alki. I've got so many great memories with my dog and like that Alki is kind of where I started each camp. Like I, cause even when I was competing for one championship, I would go home yeah. and I would kind of get refreshed before I went and started a camp. So I would run along the beach in Alki. Um, and that would kind of like, sort of like the, the sea air and the sand and the water would invigorate me to a certain point. I was like, all right, now it's time to go. And then when I did my camp last time in Seattle, um, that was, I was there every day. So I have a very close tie to it. Um, Obviously, I like like I like kind of like the touristy stuff, like Pike Place Market and the Space Needle, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Um, but Seattle's great, man. I really miss it, and uh, it'll always be home. I think because my mom and sister still live there. So then, how did the move to Asia come about? Oh, dude, I remember I was in San Francisco, and I was uh, I was working for a health club chain. I used to manage. Um, health clubs up and down the west coast and i was at i was in la 
and I was talking to um, a, one of the, the regional presidents of uh, California Fitness, which is, was here in Singapore. And it was 2005 back then. So Singapore wasn't this global powerhouse that it is now. And I remember talking to the, the president and he was like, you, you would love Singapore. You would do so great in Singapore. He's like, you kind of look Asian. You know, I'm like, yeah, I am Asian. I'm half Japanese, dude. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you're going to do great there. And he's, he's like, I was like, well, what is Singapore like? And he was like, it's like the Hawaii of the East. And I was like, I love Hawaii. Let's do it. You know, I, I literally thought it was like Hawaii. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let's go. And so I sold my car. I pretty much gave away all my stuff. And like three to four months later, I was on a plane. And my trip to Singapore was only supposed to be about six months. Like I was just supposed to kind of start this gym and then come back. You know, I was just kind of in it for an adventure. And man, that was 2005, you know? So 16 years later, my Asia adventure is still going strong. And now I'm the commentator for the largest martial arts organization in the world. It's nuts, bro. So along this timeline, when did you meet Chatri and how did this lead to Evolve MMA Foreman? Well, um, I was at a party and I was with my BJJ coach. My BJJ coach goes, okay, you have to come on you have to come to this party with me his name was Setsuma and he was like one of the only purple belts in all of Singapore at the time because before in 2005 there was only like you could count the gyms on your hand like how many Muay Thai gyms there were in Singapore I had to travel across this country it took me about three hours to get to the only Muay Thai gym that I knew BXG and at this point in time, uh, my BJJ coach was like, I'm working with this guy. His name's Chatri. He's going to start a gym. He's going to have a party. Do you want to come to this party? And I was like, yeah, I love a party. Let's go. Let's do it. And I go to this party and it's like the craziest party I've ever seen. Like there's flamethrowers and fortune tellers and catered food. I was like, this is nuts. And I meet this guy, Chatri. And Chachri tells me that he wants to start a gym and he's going to bring all these world champions here and he's going to have a massive facility and it's going to be unlike anything the world has ever seen here in Singapore. It's going to be crazy. And I was like, man, you know how many offers I get every week for people that want me to come work for them at their gyms. And, but for some reason, I, I believed him. He was so like passionate and heartfelt. I was just like, let's do it. And dude, like two weeks later, we were on a plane to Thailand, picking up our coaches. You know, we were, you know, we were going to Sidyatong and we were getting coaches and we were bringing them back to Singapore. It was nuts, man. It was absolutely crazy. And then one thing led to another. And, you know, now we're uh, doing this in Singapore again. (laughs) So even though you're out there in Asia, did you ever get any offers to fight in the States? Um, I did in San Francisco. I immediately, um, I, I have, I fought on a strike force kickboxing bout before I came over to Asia. I got my ass handed to me. It was bad. I froze dude. (laughs) Um, but like a few other promoters, like in Australia and I think the UK kind of like sent me some Facebook messages and stuff like that. But 
um, and nothing ever, nothing serious. Like I don't, I didn't pay attention to anything, you know, like I was, I was fully committed to evolve mixed martial arts and then martial combat at the time. That was my first MMA fight. And then it just rolled right into one championship. And I thought I was on the biggest platform possible. You know, why would I go play in the B leagues when I was already in the major league, you know? So um, it was just, uh, it was, it was never even a consideration, you know? Um, so what is that environment and intensity like training at Evolve and how has that changed from the start to like now? Um, in the beginning, like when it first started, dude, I was the, like me and Chachri were the only guys, right? Like <laughs> there was a few other fighters or a few other people that wanted to be fighters, but me and him were like the only two people that had experience fighting, yeah. you know? Um, so what happened was, is that, like slowly they started bringing in, you know, more and more Muay Thai instructors. And then the BJJ guys started coming and the BJJ guys wanted to fight. Like they wanted to compete. So we started to build a team, you know? And then, so I'm surrounded by nothing but world champions, dude. Like imagine like there's me who I've got like, you know, 10 Muay Thai fights, right? Amateur, nothing even pro. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by the greatest martial artists in the world, you know? Like it was Leandro Brugino Issa, Zoro Babel, like all these amazing guys. And then, you know, Rafael Dos Anjos came down and Shinya Aoki came down and Ben Askren started to come around. And then it just started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the intent, the training was tough, man. It was like a weird blend of like world-class Muay Thai training with hardcore BJJ training. So like we would have to run like five miles in the morning. We'd have to train for two or three hours. Then we'd eat, teach a bunch of classes. And then we'd have to train like with the BJJ guys. And those guys would just hand me... <laughs> my ass beaten all day long and then we had to teach classes again and then we had to train maybe some technique stuff at night so it was just this constant grind you know and it was just um you know only the strong survived kind of thing you know but as it got as it went the training got more and more scientific more and more focused and protocoled you know, and now like, it's just, it's a whole different level. Like now they're super scientific with their training and I jump in to, to their training sessions every now and then. And it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's really developed, you know, the facility at Evolve Mixed Martial Arts is basically like the Disneyland from MMA, man. Like they've got cryogenic ch chambers and they've got a full gym and they've got all these beautiful mats and everything it's just an amazing facility um so it's definitely grown by leaps and bounds now and they got that new coach Sayer Baharzada yeah. so he's definitely leveled up the game um so I'm excited to see big things from Evolve um, so who are some of your favorite guys to chain to train with and who are some of your closest friends in MMA in general uh, my favorite guys to train with now, um, I've got to be Professor Teco and Alex Silva because BJJ is kind of like the thing that I'm focusing on now, um, at least now. Uh, before, it was like um, Roginho, Zorro, uh, Shinya. You know, those guys were my, my, 
my main partners, you know, so like, but there, before there was also a lot of really good guys too, that I got to work with. Um, but my best friends now, I mean, obviously like the guys that I'm closest with now are the people that I spend every day with like Rich Franklin, yeah. you know, he's in the office now with working with one championship right. and he's also my co-commentator. So I spend a lot of time with him. Um, but like, it's been great to like really develop kind of like these relationships with these guys, you know, um, like Gianni Suba is another one who, another athlete who kind of works with one championship and he's a close friend of mine, but then you go to like, when I get to go to Tiger Muay Thai, I get to hang out with like Alex Shields and the Hickman brothers and, you know, Emilio Arrutia, like I get to see those guys. And then when I go to Team Lakai, which is in the Philippines, yeah. you, then you're, then I'm around like Edward Foleyong and Kevin Bellingon and, you know, all these Joshua Pascio and Danny King ads. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm so lucky, you know, and like, I remember just like before COVID hit, um, like Brandon Vera came to my gym in the Philippines and like had coffee with me and stuff. So, you know, it's really kind of mind blowing when I think about it, that these guys are my buddies now, guys that I grew up, you know, watching on TV, you know, are, are guys that I get to hang out with now. So I still haven't gotten over that fanboy type stuff, you know? So even when I'm commentating and I'm training with these guys, I still got to, you know, geek out a little bit every now and then. So similarly to that question about Evolve, how has one changed from the early days to now? And did you envision it sort of becoming as big as it has now? Oh, man. Like, one is like a global powerhouse now, yeah. dude. Like, like, they went from, I mean, I think the aspiration has always been there from yeah. Chatri. Like, he knew where this thing was going, like, way back in 2011, 2012. Yeah. Like he had a very clear plan on how to execute it. But to be honest, like even back then, it was still run incredibly professionally. Like everything from the way that they take care of the athletes to the way that they take care of the officials, the training, like everything is done so well and so high end. Like if you, when you come to a show and you get to see it in person, have you ever been to a show? No, not one. No. It's just, Oh, you got to, you got to see it, dude. Someday maybe we'll be in London. I'd love to go to Europe for one of these shows, man. 2022, we go to London. Uh, that'd be great. Um, but it's, it's always been run really professionally, but now I'm just kind of surprised at like the magnitude of, you know, the, the growth of it, you know, like people message me from like, you know, um, Pakistan and Egypt and, you know, like, Argentina and like Norway and like people <laughs> from all over the yeah. world are, are fans of one championship. And it's just, it's shocking to me. Like before, like when I was competing, it was kind of just a, a regional thing, right? It was just yeah. Asia, but now man, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Like I was, I got a message from um, professor Burak, who's a trainer, who's a coach in uh Turkey and he says that I my commentary people actually make fun of my commentary like try to emulate me on the mic and it's just hilarious you know so um it's been it's been it's been a wild ride man and, and now that we're gonna be on uh you know uh live tv you know in the states with this yeah. whole tnt thing 
you know, and I think we're going to hit a whole nother genre of fans and it's just going to go nuts, man. I think that the way that we're going to level up and, and just get even into more people's, you know, um, computers and TV sets. And I think it's just going to be, we're going to grow exponentially from here. And, and really the sky's the limit for one championship. And it's, uh, it's cool to be part of it. So let's move on to your career for a minute. Um, four and two with one no contest. You didn't start fighting until you were in your thirties in MMA. Um, looking back, do you wish you started younger? Um, yeah, I, I wish I was more open-minded, right. With the, with the BJJ stuff, yeah, the you know, because now it's like, it's so intriguing to me, you know? Um, I really wish I, I, I would have, cause I remember there was a point in, in San Francisco when one of the BJJ guys at my gym was like, dude, come do this BJJ stuff. Yeah. I'm going to head down. I'm going to train with these Gracie guys. You got to get in it with me. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to go do Muay Thai. Right. So I, and I I was thinking at the time, like I was so close minded that I I could have done both. Right. Like that's the game, right. You do, you don't just do one martial art, you do them all, you know, you study every, you know, do wrestling and BJJ and, you know, boxing and Muay Thai and you study them all. But I, I, I really wanted to focus on Muay Thai. Um, I think it was just because of like, you know, Frank Dukes and <laughs> like a kickboxer. Like I was so fascinated with Muay Thai, you know, like from the Jean-Claude Van Damme stuff. And I was really excited about learning the striking arts and just understanding um, those things. So yeah, dude, I, I wish I would have started earlier because I didn't have my first MMA fight until I was, man, I was over, over the age of 30. Like, you know, like, but I started competing in Muay Thai when I was like 25. So at that point, that's when I should have thrown the switch. But my striking background also gives me the ability to commentate both striking and yeah. mixed martial arts. And, and that's hard for people. Like we've had a lot of commentators come on and they're like, well, you do eat them pretty well. You know, obviously I'm, and may I'm more comfortable doing that because I've been doing it longer. But I can jump back and forth between kickboxing, Muay Thai, and mixed martial arts because I've done them all. So in hindsight, yeah, I do wish personally, you know, I had a, a big fancy record and I, you know, um, I could have did more with my MMA career. But if I really look at it, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it, you know, because I got that taste. You know, I got a taste of kickboxing. I won belts in Thailand. So I've got a Muay Thai belt you know, from a stadium in Thailand, I've got mixed martial arts championships and I've won fights on one championship. So, you know, there's always, you're always going to have, you know, things that you could have done better in hindsight. But when I really think about it, I'm okay with, you know, how my career went, but I do want to do it one more time. Yeah. One more dance. Touch on that again in a second. Um, your first two fights were for Martial Combat. What were these events like? And did it feel like something like one was sort of building at this time? Because, of course, you had guys like Kevin Bellingham and Ed Fullergang on these cards as well. Yeah, um, that was cool, man. Martial, my first MMA fight was a main event. Yeah. You know, 
And like, so I get that I'm doing a full training camp. I'm about seven weeks into the camp. And at week seven, I, I asked one of my teammates, I was like, dude, this match is for a belt. Do you think it's going to be five rounds? And he's like, he's like, yeah, I think it could be five rounds. <laughs> and I remember going, oh, damn. Like I was so freaked out at this point because, you know, 25 minutes that's like a tv show dude that's really long you know um so i was like starting to panic a little bit and uh i was really starting to get nervous and i remember we called victor Kui and we were like dude is this thing five rounds and he's like yeah dude it's a championship match you're fighting for a belt you're the main event of course it's five rounds what'd you think i was like oh no okay let's go more pressure let's do it and i could see that you know um like I thought it was really neat that it was on ESPN. You know, the fact that I was competing for my first mixed martial arts bet. I was on the poster, you know, I was like their, their hype guy, you know, it was cool, man. And I could see that the, there was a, there was kind of a tide turning, like things were switching and the interest was there because it was kind of like the right place at the right time. Right. Like nobody had really done MMA in the region, Southeast Asia, and we were just first to it. And we took that ball and ran with it. And then I got to do it again. And I got to try commentary. Um, that didn't go very well, but I enjoyed the fighting aspect. And I enjoyed this, the, the spotlight. You know, it was, it was cool. So you mentioned commentary there. When it came time to transition, um, how did that go with one? And then you say you want to fight again. If that opportunity comes, do you have an opponent in mind? Ha. Um, dude, my first time commentary was terrible. Yeah. Awful. Like I remember I did the weigh in and I was so nervous and I was stuttering and I couldn't get things out right. And it was really, really bad. But I went back and like, they were like, okay, that wasn't so good, but thanks for trying. That <laughs> was like, okay. Um, but I went back and I did another TV show and I started to like, so I started to speak and make my own lines. And so I got more comfortable talking in yeah. front of the camera. And then I started to watch MMA matches with the sound off. And I would practice over and over and over again. So if there's anybody out there that yeah. wants to learn how to commentate, what you do is just watch MMA fights with the sound off and then practice and then record yourself doing it and then watch it back and see where you can make mistakes and see if you pick up things. And I did that over and over and over again, 20, 30 times during a weekend. And I got so, then they, then like one of their other commentators fell out. Right. And yeah. so I got another shot to jump in and I did so much better from my first time to my second time that they were like, wow, this kid really wants it. Let's give him a shot. And so I was able to do it, but yeah, man, I never retired. I never stopped fighting. They just stopped asking me for fights. <laughs> they just started asking me to commentate and, you know, whatever it is, hundred shows it's been since then, they just stopped asking me to commentate, but I got hurt real bad. Um, I was thrown on my head in 2010 and I tore seven muscles in my neck and my back. So that's kind of what fight shape developed into is like fixing people's problems you know and as i try to fix my own um issues i've learned more about training other people and teaching other people so that's kind of where the fight shape tie-in kind of comes from 
Um, but yeah, dude, I never really um, retired. And I, I, don't, I don't think I would ever do it because I mean, I, I am 43. So um, the father time is definitely catching up to me. So if I want to do this, I got to do it now. <laughs> Um, but now that I'm here in Singapore and I'm surrounded by, you know, just some of the best martial artists in the world. Now I have the opportunity and also the resources to, uh, to try to build myself back up. Even if I don't compete again, um, at least I'll, I'll just keep studying and keep training and I will do something, you know, whether it's going to be like a white collar boxing match, or if it's going to be a BJJ competition or something, um, it'll be, I'll do something. An opponent, not so much an opponent, man. I think because like there's a lot of times I'm like watching matches and I'm like, I can get this guy, <laughs> you know, I can I can beat him, um, but not so much, man. Like I don't really because that's not the way one works, right? Like you say you're ready, you say you're gonna have a fight, you say you're you want you you're ready, and then they give you somebody, and then you start the camp and you start training for that person. Um, so you already got to be there and you already have to be close to weight. So yeah. um, it's very different nowadays, um, especially without the weight cutting thing. I would love to compete without having to worry about cutting weight. That was like for, yeah. man, eight weeks, you're not really trying to work on technique or study the opponent. I was trying to cut weight, you know? I was just trying to, you know, get as lean as, you know, hard as possible while trying to get a little bit faster and a little bit better. But the main thing was just making the weight. So now without the weight cutting thing, I'm really interested in, in seeing how I would perform without having to cut weight, you know? So um, that's another reason why I want to step back in there and, and see what's up. You mentioned the weight cutting thing. Um, one have been very forward thinking in that regard. Um, how successful do you think that's been? Man, it's, it's been like life changing for a lot of these guys. Like, you know, to, to, to dehydrate your body 24 hours before you're about to go into one of the biggest moments in your life where another person is trying to turn your lights out, you know, whether it's by, you know, tap out, knock out, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and then to do that in a dehydrated state, the science, it's almost impossible to fully rehydrate your body in that time period. So either way, you're going to go in there at a disadvantage, you know? And so to go in there fresh and to go in there fully hydrated, I know guys still try to diet, right? They still eat less and they still try to, you know, get as lean and as ripped as possible, but that's just part of like feeding yourself well and you know, eating healthier food. So you have better fuel for the performance. Right. But the, the hydration thing, man, I think is, I think is so important. And just because like our brain lives in fluid, you know, and to dehydrate your muscles like that, to suck all the water out of your body and then try to put it back in. And I've seen a lot of athletes. I've been to shows all over the world. And the minute they get off that scale, they start fueling their body with some of the worst food you could possibly imagine. You know, for 10 weeks, they've been strict. They've been eating perfectly, you know, starving themselves to make a certain number. And then the minute they get off that thing, they're going to eat a dozen donuts and a pepperoni pizza and expect that the 24 hours later, they're going to perform at their peak. Impossible. Yeah. 
So one has really been ahead of the game with this, you know, with these hydration tests and just making sure our athletes are in the healthiest possible state they can be in. Switching gears, um, what is Michael, Michael Chevello like to work with and how has he helped your growth as a commentator? Dude, Michael, a lot of people think Michael is like this wild man, right? <laughs> like he's just going to be crazy, yeah. you know, and on air, he is like, yeah. but dude, I have ne- like the way how he is able to put a show together is amazing. He can have a director or a producer screaming in his ear and he's still carrying on full conversations. Another image will pop up and he will immediately transition to that image and set it right up and then still listen to what this director is saying. He is incredible, bro. Like the way that he is able to drive a show and to dictate how things come and go and on the spur, like right with no prep needed. He is so good. And most of the guys that I've worked with, I've been lucky as a commentator to work with some really helpful and like genuine people, you know, like Steve Dawson and Sean Wheelock and Chris Hookstra and now Michael Chavello. Most of the time, like I would think this would be a very competitive industry, right? Like guys really wouldn't want to give you their tips and their tricks. They wouldn't want to tell you that, you know, this can be better and that this is something you can do, but I've been really lucky, man. Like the guys that I've worked with have been so helpful, you know, in making me better. And if you listen to my commentary from like, you know, 2017, 2018, and just the way that my voice and like everything has kind of improved, it's, it's really because of the people that I've been working with. And, and Michael is one of those main reasons now. Um, he's just got so much experience. He's yeah. been doing this for as long as I've been doing martial arts. He's been doing a commentary. So his, his information is just so good. And he's a really good coach, too. And I was reading his book, Good Night, Irene, which you got to check out. It's a pretty good read. Um, and it just gives you insight into all the stuff that he's kind of been through that's made him the commentator that he is. So uh, it's been a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting duo. And you need that chemistry with somebody, yeah. you know, and we have it. I think we have it. Is it difficult to sometimes match his energy, though? That's what everybody was concerned with. Right. When I when we found out Michael Chavello was coming in, like a lot of people in the company were like, I don't know if Mitch is going to be able to do this, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know if he is the right choice for this job, you know, and I'm used to being the high energy guy before, you know, like I was the guy that pumped everything up. Right. And so Michael comes in and he's always there, you know, so I'm not always there. I do kind of get like, kind of, you know, but, um, it is tough. You know, but I think as we've gone, we found sort of this this balance to our commentary um, to where if he's really high, I can come up, but then I'll come back down. Um, So it's tough, but I think we're working on it, you know, so um, but it's also different, right? Like the uh, it's our style. So it's it's coming along. It's coming along. (laughs) Yeah. One of my friends, I was talking about this. He did. He did describe him as Mr. Goodnight Irene. So, Yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, 
obviously at the minute you've got the apprentice one championship running at the minute. Yeah. Um what impact do you think that could have on the growth of the company? I think it's just like a whole nother area for one championship to kind of focus on, right? Like we've got the one championship events, right? The martial arts stuff, which is already world-class. We've got one eSports, which is the gaming side of things. And that's developing at a remarkable rate. I'm really surprised at how well it's doing. And now we've got one studios and apprentice is sort of like that first um, dipping your toes into this sort of production yeah. of, you know, um, reality TV, drama, movies, whatever is going to come out of this thing. But dude, I'm so pumped. Like I, I did the, the, I was at the premiere and I watched the show and the show is really good. Have you seen it? I've seen the first yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised at like, you know, when they're doing the physical challenges yeah. and, you know, everything, it was really well done. And Refinery Media is partnered with us and um, the executive producer, Karen Siup, is just really a world-class operation as far as putting this thing together. And it it really looks good, man. And then you get the, the martial arts side of things, yeah. you know, like tonight, I think it's airing like in the next... 40 minutes or something like that here in Asia. Um, you know, Henzo Gracie and George St. Pierre are in this next episode. And then you've got Sage Northcutt and Ben Askren and Brandon Vera and Jung Jin Nan, Ritu Fagat, like all these superstars that are really going to add um, a different feel to the show. So Apprentice is kind of like the first thing with the one championship edition that they're going to do. But I really think there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come you know, um, out of one studios. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm a fan of the apprentice over here in the UK as well. So I was super excited to see. Yeah. And one championship come together. And on the podcast last week, I spoke to Lara from the show about it as well. Um, Oh, great. Um, what impact do you think the signing of Gordon Ryan could have on one in America? Man, I was just on another podcast this weekend, right. Or last week uh super necessary right and (laughs) i did this interview they asked me what was your dream signing if you could sign anybody to one championship who would it be and i was like brock lesnar henry cejudo and gordon ryan like i want to see gordon ryan compete mixed martial arts and then the next day chachri announces that gordon ryan has signed with one championship the only thing, right, is that he's going to do grappling first. I yeah. want to see him put on the gloves, man. I want to see him throw down inside the circle and mix martial arts. But I think it's the same way um, that Gary Toning got his feet wet, right? Gary Toning came yeah. to one championship and had a grappling contest with Shinya Aoki, did very well, and just sort of put his skills, you know, for the world to see and then was like, all right, now I'm ready to do you know, mixed martial arts. And I think that's might be the same process um, with Gordon Ryan. Uh, But this is huge, man. Gordon Ryan, for your fans that don't know, this guy is 25 years old, only 25. And he's the most dominant grappler in the world today. He's just a beast. He looks like a superhero. Did you have you seen that dude? Dude's gigantic and shredded. And he's a three-time ADCC champion, just a killer on the mats 
and now he's coming to one championship. So we've already got a stacked heavyweight division. Killers in the heavyweight division now. We've got Marcus Almeida, Buncecha. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of high-level BJJ guys that are good, ready to welcome him. You know, if you want to grapple, they'll do grappling. So I think this is going to be a good move. And I think it's really going to draw in a lot more fans, the same way Gary Tonin did. Yeah. Gary Tonin brought millions of fans with him. And I think Gordon Ryan is going to do the same thing. Um, obviously, like Gordon Ryan, we've got a growing group of American fighters in one. And obviously, we've got these upcoming TNT shows as well. Do you think it's possible that one could hold an event in the U.S. in the near future? 100%. I think that's, you know, if if you want to be huge, you know, um, you got to get that market. You know, the U.S. is, the I think, probably one of the biggest mixed martial arts markets in the world, right? Like you know, um, with the growth of those other organizations, <laughs> it's been huge, you know, like now it's, it's the most, it, MMA is the fastest growing sport in the world. And a large part of that is due to the United States. And I would love to do a Madison square garden show, New York city, you know, so even like the Staples center in California or just, you know, Key Arena in Seattle, give me something. Let us go to the United States. Um, I did a media tour there where we started in Seattle, went down to LA and then over to Vegas. And that was like in 2018. And the response was really positive. A lot of fans knew who we were. They realized that we're you know, regularly putting on shows. And the US is, it's a natural weight for us to go. Um, even though, I mean, we are Asia focused and we both, you know, we run, we run this area, you know, like Asia, there's nobody bigger than one championship. And so I want to see Europe. I want to see Australia. I want to see the United States, um, you know, in the twenties, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen, yeah. you know, but, uh, as soon as, uh, we get over this, uh, this COVID thing and the world starts getting back to some sort of, you know, travel, yeah. you know, resumes, you know, I would love, love to go to the U S or, you know, just to give, just to do shows again. Yeah. I think just to have a full stadium of fans again is, I think, the first yeah. step. But then getting to the U.S. and some of the other regions are going to be important for us. Um, yesterday, it was announced that Misha Tate's returned to action. Were you close with I her? I know. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Did you work close with her during at one? Yeah, we did. <laughs> you know, we traveled all over Bangkok and Vietnam and. Yeah. What's up, Misha? You couldn't drop me a message or something yeah, like, saying you're coming back. <laughs> So this isn't something you're expecting then, right? No, completely blew my mind. And, you know, she just had another beautiful baby. And, you know, I know she's been training hard. Like, I know that was a given. And she told me she was going to come back and do some grappling. But that's as far as I thought she was going to go. And now she drops this bombshell that she's coming back. And the match is already scheduled yep. in, for July. That's crazy. I wish her the best of luck i know she's gonna do so well um and i think it's gonna be i think it's great i think it's great that she come back gives me hope <laughs> <laughs> and obviously jumping straight in the deep end as well marion renault if she's not ranked anymore she was recently i think she's got to be at least in the top 15 i think that you know she's been this is a really the, interesting match the weekend, didn't she? But then... oh yeah oh yeah i guess so um she was on the undercard of that last match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's 
He's been yeah. up there for a while, so it's quite a yeah big fight for Misha to jump back in after so long. I love it. I love it. She goes right into it. Gets right back in there, Misha. Do your thing. Who, in your opinion, are some of the maybe lesser-known fighters in one or fighters who aren't that well-established outside of Asia who could become big names one day? Um, right now, man, like, we've just got some super talent in the heavyweight division. We've got some absolute killers. Yeah. We've got uh, Umar Kane, yes. Rug Rug. This guy, yes. the Seglamese wrestling champion, this guy is just a sensation. He hits you and you turn the lights out. He is so strong and so powerful. He is only going to get better. I'm also really excited about um, Kong Ji Wan. He's another Korean heavyweight. He's uh, he he went up against Ali Akbari in Fist of Fury 2. And man, he was so smooth looking. His footwork, the way that he floats around the circle, he looks like a middleweight. And he's just got really good timing on his striking. But he proved he's got a massive chin. He took two of those big shots from Ali Akbari yeah. and then answered back. Still kept his wits about him and countered with a nice left hand. Completely shocked us. Um, but we've got a lot of really, really interesting matchups coming soon, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pumped to, for some of these matchups, you know. You've got just, I mean, killers you know, that are really, really exciting martial artists, you know, that are ready to make a name for themselves and ready to just kind of step into that next big spot. And I think, uh, I think your fans are going to definitely enjoy what we got coming up in the next couple months. Just one guy I want to mention quickly, who I'm very high on as a prospect, um, Wonderboy, Fabricio Andrade. What do you think is next for him? Oh, man, he just kicked the door down yeah. to the top five by taking out Shoto Sako, right? He looked so smooth. His striking style is so relaxed. You know, he looks just fluid and composed. He's a straight-up sniper on his feet, and his BJJ game, he's got some serious finishing instincts. Once they click in, he is all over you. So he, you're right, dude. I am extremely high on uh, on Draj. I don't know what's going to happen for him. You know, I know that uh, John Lineker has got a matchup coming yeah. up. You know, so he's he's tied up, and he John Lineker is number one, yeah. right? And then. You know, I, I, I don't know if the bantamweight rankings have been adjusted, you know, because after his win with Shoto Sako, but he's got to be in the top five now. So, um, man, I'm, you're right, 100%. I think he's maybe one fight away from getting a title shot. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I look at the rankings, I think maybe him versus Kevin Bellingham next. What do you think about that? I think that's interesting. I think that's, I think that's a really good a really good matchup. What's Kevin ranked? Is Kevin ranked number? I think he's maybe three. Three? I think so. I think he's three, two. Yeah. So um, I like that matchup. I like that matchup. You know, um, I know that uh, I haven't seen that matchup. I haven't seen anything from the Bantamweights except that John Lineker's coming yeah. up. I want to see Bibiano in there. Bibiano needs to, you know, uh, defend his strap, you know? Yeah. So uh, we got some good movement coming around the Bantamweights. So. Yeah, I'm very conscious on time here, Mitch, but just want to touch on some of the fights on these upcoming TNT shows quickly, if possible. Okay. Um, 
April 7th, we've got one on TNT, one, um, Adriana Mirage against Demetrius Johnson. Just how good is this fight in your mind? And in your opinion, how much has it meant for one for Demetrius Johnson to come in in the last couple of years? You know, like just off his name alone, he could have jumped right into a title shot. But what does he do? He enters into a gauntlet yeah. in the flyweight division and he takes them out. You know, he looked really, really good against Yuya Wakamatsu. Wakamatsu tested him with that right hand, put him down. King Ed brought the fight to him. He looked spectacular there. Uh, and then, you know, Wada, you know, he looked, he was in danger with Wada. And he shows that he truly is one of the greatest of all time. And it's been, but it also goes to show you just how good our flyweights are. He has not had you know, the steamroll that everybody thought he was going to do. People thought he was going to knock everybody out really quick, but he didn't. He was tested and he was pushed and he earned his shot at the flyweight world title. But this is Adriano's chance to prove to the world just how good he is. I've known Adriano for a very yeah. long time and he is a spectacular martial artist. He's an incredible grappler, a really sound striker. And He's got a really good intellect. He's got a good fight IQ. He can figure things out inside the moment and really stay composed because he's got such a wealth of experience. He just hasn't been as active as I want him to be. But now, since this, since DJ entered the one championship, Adriano Marais has been planning for him. Adriano Marais for two years has been studying this man and devising the blueprint on how to beat the GOAT. And I think this fight is going to really be exciting. And it's going to be a constant back and forth battle. That's just going to be a war of attrition. Also on this card, Eddie Alvarez versus Yuri Lapakis. Um, Eddie had a tough start, but he's now one-on-one. What would a win here mean for him going forward? Well, you know, like I think Eddie's been talking about a title shot since he got to one championship. He's like, I want the three organizational titles on my mantelpiece and I want them as soon as possible and he had man he had a rough match against Nas Dukin yeah. Nas Dukin put it on Eddie Alvarez and then Edward Foliang had him in trouble hurt him with the leg hurt him on the you know on the feet yeah. and but that veteran that he is he was able to find a way to get the win and take out the former champ if Eddie Alvarez can beat Yuri Lapakis in this upcoming matchup, I think he's right there. I think there's, there's, it's hard to deny you a title shot if you beat the number two guy. And Yuri Lapakis right now is number two. The only guy above him is Doggy. And I think Doggy's really close to a title shot, but the, the title's got a whole different situation right now with uh, Christian Lee against yeah. Nastyukin, yeah. which is going to be a fascinating match in itself. But I really think that this match is, it's going to be do or, you know, I don't want to say do or die, but it's a really important match for Eddie. And I know how important this match is for him. And I know how much importance he places on this because he wants that third world title more than anything. Yeah. And he's just got to go through this, you know, extremely tough, well-rounded athlete, you know, um, Yuri Lapicus had his shot at the belt, you know, and I think he just made a couple of mistakes. He wasn't expecting that rush from Christian Lee. So um, Yuri Lapicus has a lot to prove here too. 
You know, Yuri Lapagus wants a big win over the legend that is Eddie Alvarez. Yeah. So, oh man, I want to ask your opinion. <laughs> like, what do you think? Um, I think I think I'll probably favor Eddie because of that experience level you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, if he wins, you could justify justifiably give him a title shot. I think. Um, because Lapagus, as you said, he's just coming off that shot recently against Christian Lee. So, yeah. Um, also on this card, we've got um, Rod Tang. Talk to me about him because he's one of my favorite guys to watch at the minute in the world. Yeah. Um, How can but a lot of people outside of Asia might not know about him? Yeah. I mean, this Muay Thai with small gloves is going to be sort of a, a treat. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a surprise for a lot of people, you know, and the way that we, I like to think about Muay Thai and the small gloves inside the cage is kind of like MMA without the grappling, right? So a lot of, a lot of fans don't really understand the grappling aspect of it, right? They don't understand sweeps and, you know, top control and all this yeah. stuff. So kind of it eliminates that, right? So it's just the meaty bits, right? Like it's just that fire that comes from Muay Thai. And, you know, the small gloves, when you put Rod Tang inside small gloves, it yeah. changes everything. I was speaking to Jonathan Haggerty about it. And he was saying that when Rod Tang was hitting him, it was like somebody was throwing rocks at his body. It hurt in a whole different way. And he just, he wasn't used to it. And it's, he's just so exciting. You know, he just had this match. It was a kickboxing match with Tagir Kalilov and his hands came down and he was like, do your best. And uh, Kalilov teed off on him and hit him with a, like a four punch combination. Rod Tank ate it, walked right through and then just kept attacking. It is impossible to stop this guy. This guy really is the Iron Man of Muay Thai. And I think that the fans around the world that you don't know who Rod Tang is, you better get ready because it's going to be excitement personified. Yeah. Um, so then also on this card, we've got um, Rug Rug, as we mentioned earlier. Then the week after, TNT 2, Christian Lee, Timothy Nestukin. Um, what challenge do you think Timothy brings for Christian? The thing about Nestukin is that he can start incredibly fast, yeah. right? Like he's got that six second knockout of Lasita. He's got that flying knee knockout in the first round of Edward Foliang. Like he can blitz you, right? And he can start incredibly quick. But Nestukin, can also take his time and draw out, you know, a three-round war with somebody like he did against Peter Baust. Yeah. He outstruck a very high-level kickboxer in Peter Baust. Peter Baust, Baust, top of the food chain when it comes to kickboxing. And Timofey Nastyukin mixed things up with the takedowns, with the striking. He was very well-rounded in that matchup. He's got a lot of experience and a lot of power, right? Yeah. But Man, how can you doubt Christian Lee? Yeah. How you can't doubt him anymore. You know, he goes in, he takes the belt from Shinya Aoki when he was in danger 
Shinya Aoki yeah. had him in the armbar. Shinya Aoki rips people's arms off of their bodies, and he got out of it and survived and came yeah. back to get the TKO victory. And then he jumps in on short notice and takes out the most dangerous dude in the division, Dagi Arsalan Aliyev, to win the lightweight world Grand Prix. You can't doubt Christian Lee anymore. He was built for this. The Lee family built Christian Lee in the laboratory in Hawaii and came up with the perfect martial artist. This matchup is going to be so interesting because, A, it's five rounds, yeah, right? So there's a long time. Can Nashjukin keep that pace over five rounds? We haven't seen him do it yet. That's going to be really exciting. And is Christian Lee going to attack Nashjukin the same way that he attacked Yuri Lapikas, right? Christian Lee just bolted out of the yeah. gate and just ran right into him. Is he going to do that to somebody with the knockout power of Nastukin? So it'll be really interesting. I think on the feet, Nastukin might have a slight advantage, but on the ground, Christian Lee might have a slight advantage. So I think it's just going to be like who can implement their game plan the best, but also I don't know what to expect. I don't know how these guys are going to try to you know, start and, you know, really sort of game plan around their opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Um, yeah. Um, one on TNT three, the week after that, we've got John Lineker and Stephen Lohman. And for the Muay Thai fans, Nikki Holskin versus John Wayne Parr. Talk to Ooh. me about that. <laughs> Well, Stefan Lohman, first of all, he steps right into the fire. Yeah. I mean, he comes off of his, you know, he was dominating that other organization, right? He had like a bunch of title defenses, just cleaning house in that organization and now gets signed to one championship. And what does he do? He gets signed to the, the <laughs> most terrifying dude in the division, man, Jonathan Lineker. But the thing about this matchup is that Lohman gets a little bit of chance at revenge. Yeah. Right. Loman gets to redeem the team Lakai name against Lineker because of the destruction that, you know, Lineker caused to Kevin Bellingon. Like yeah. that was just a brutal matchup. That yeah. was so entertaining. But standing and dancing with Lineker is a recipe for disaster. But I like the well-roundedness of uh, Loman. I think Loman has, you know, that he has got that shot double leg. He's got a good ground game. He's got good wrestling. I think he's got to lean on that if he wants to do that in this match. If he wants to walk away with the win, because standing and boxing with John Lineker, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, but man, the the Muay Thai matchup, the one that's surprised everybody. You know, I saw this uh, this meme that John Wayne Parr put up, and he was. It was a, it was Brad Pitt from Troy and he's sitting on top of a horse and the little kid looks up at Brad Pitt and goes, I can't believe you're going to go fight Hector. I wouldn't fight Hector. Hector's a killer. And Brad Pitt looks down and goes, that's why nobody's going to remember your name to the kid. And <laughs> I was like, that's a hundred percent true. John Wayne Parr is coming off of hip surgery. And he accepts a fight in small gloves against one of, like, he's not past his prime by any means. Nikki Holskin is still out there getting, do you see the way he put down Elliot Compton with yeah. that body shot? Yeah. Like, just walked right through him, right? And Elliot Compton is a high-level striker. Nikki Holskin is one of the best to ever do it. 
And now John Wayne Parr comes out of retirement off of hip surgery to challenge these guys in small gloves inside the cage. Granted, the cage Muay Thai is, was invented by John Wayne Parr, right? And he's got more experience than you could possibly you know, imagine. He's going for his 100th win against Nikki Holskin. This match is must-watch TV. I'm going to be holding my breath the entire time. I love John Wayne Parr. I love Nikki Holstead. I can't pick a winner in this one. I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to let Michael and Rich do the commentary, and I'm just going to watch this one unfold, man. Then we've got TNT 4, which is probably my favorite card of the four, actually. Um, trilogy, four years in the making in the main event. Um, Ong Lang Sang and Vitaly Big Dash. Um, Obviously, I'm looking at this from the outside, but just how big is Ong in Asia and specifically Myanmar? Dude, Myanmar has never had a world champion, right? And this story is, is something that your, your fans are probably going to, your, your viewers are going to enjoy. This Ong Lan song was brought to Myanmar, right? He was to face... Vitaly Big Dash for the middleweight world title. And Myanmar has never had a world champion. And there's this stoic, like just beast of a man in Vitaly Big Dash, right? And the hype that started to generate about this fight was unlike anything ever, ever seen in Myanmar, right? Yeah. A, a, a national hero in Ang Lan Song takes on this Russian, just beast of a man in Vitaly Big Dash. And these two, when they get ready to fight, like as, as they're coming out, right? They announce the challenger and this entire crowd goes crazy. I've never seen a crowd reaction like that in my life, Steven. It was crazy. Like the buzz from the people, the entire stadium was shaking when Ang Lan Song hit that circle. Then Vitaly Big Dash comes down and these two go at it in a five round war. And at the end, Ang Lan Song has announced the winner after a spectacular matchup. And he grabs the mic and says that, you know, I am not strong. I am not talented, but with you, I am a world champion. And the crowd, the buzz, like it kept his interest in that country has captivated 55 million people. They now the entire country stops. Whenever we would have events in Myanmar, there would be lines of thousands of people down the streets at, at the opening matchup from early in the morning. They would be waiting to get in there. There is nothing like an Angla and Song fight anywhere in the world of sports. You know, I've seen Manny Pacquiao show up to events, and I know that the Filipinos love him, but the the way that the Myanmar people rejoice with Ang Long Tsang is crazy. They travel everywhere he goes. When we were in Japan, there was thousands of them in Japan. When he competed, he, everywhere he goes, he draws people to him. And he's an incredible human being. And this matchup is going to be fireworks, dude. Yeah. Um, also on this card, Shinya Aoki versus Sage Noska. There's no. Ooh. What do you think of this matchmaking? Because there's no favors being done for Sage after that Cosmo fight. 
Not at all. And Shinya Aoki has been on a tear, bro. Yeah. He's been, he's like, he's found another level, you know? So this is a really intriguing matchup. We know exactly the game plan of this matchup. We This yeah. is classic striker versus grappler. And it's, it's going to come down. Can Sage Northcutt keep the distance? Can he stay away from Shinyaoki? Because if Shinyaoki gets that clinch, he does not let that clinch go. I've trained with Shinyaoki. He is deceptively strong. He gets a hold of you and he does not let go. And he'll drag you into his world and he will just lock you up. And that's a wrap. But Sage Northcutt is an extremely explosive striker with good movement. And so this is going to be a very interesting matchup. And this matchup, out of the entire one on TNT series, this matchup is my, this is my fight of the night. This is the one I'm most looking forward to and to seeing what happens. Um, Also on this card, two real legendary names of Asian MMA, Edward Foliang and Yoshihiro Akiyama. What do you think of this fight? And how cool has it, how cool has it been to be able to bring Sexyama to one? Sexyama is not just an incredible martial artist, but he's like kind of an icon. Like he's a national star, you know, he's got his own TV show. He's just a celebrity. Yeah. Um, And he's getting really good. You know, he looked strong against, you know, uh, Aguilan Tani. He showcased good boxing, good judo. And then he's coming off of a huge knockout win. So this is going to be interesting to see how this match plays up because I know that the Filipino media has really been, you know, coming hard on Edward Foliang, you know, Edward Foliang is like, you know, he's a legend in the Filipino martial arts. He's a legend around the world. He's been doing this, you know, since the beginning, you know, he was there at the martial combat stuff with me, you know, Um, and he's still good. He's still strong. He's still got good stand-up. He hurt Eddie Alvarez in that first round. He just got caught slipping when he went to the ground with Eddie. You know, he's still good. He was outworked by um, by Caruso, but he still looked, you know, good. He was coming off a bit of a break. But, man, I, I think the media is coming down too hard on this guy. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for both these guys to really show up and show people that they are still in it, you know. And Sexy Yama is 46 years old, dude. So there, see – Another reason for I'm like, I still can do it, yeah. <laughs> you know? And Edward Foliang is always going to be exciting. So I think this match is going to be very intriguing. Also, I've got Peter Baust and Lauren Tananas, but also on this card, Jonathan Haggerty was scheduled. Obviously, Jake, Jacob Smith is out of the fight with Rod Tang because of um, travel restrictions. Do we know if Haggerty is still going to be in this card? I don't know, man. I don't know, all the UK guys like Liam Harrison. I don't I hope he shows up. I really want Jonathan Haggerty because it's with Mahmoudi. So I really think that's a great matchup. I really think these are two of the most exciting guys in the flyweight division. Um, I'm, I really hope that match, you know, I hope they figure out something to keep these guys on the card um, because I love watching the UK strikers. I think they're so much fun. They're so entertaining. Liam Harrison is one of my favorites. Um, so that's going to be great. But this Tynanis against Baust matchup is going to be fun. Yeah. I think Lowen Tynanis is one of the, you know, cause he had, he had Lyme disease. So he had a bunch of really bad joint issues and he got his diet sorted out and he's now pain free. So now this is like a whole different version of him, you know, 
that we're getting to see. And Peter Bausch, man, is just a, such a slick striker. The way that he, when he was competing against Foliang and Foliang threw that low kick and Bausch picked up his leg and then came around with the high kick and wobbles him was a thing of beauty. So I think this match, again, is going to tell us a lot because we've got another, you know, high profile lightweight contest. So I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. On Haggerty, he's kind of in a weird position after those two losses to Rodang. Um, do you see him getting a third fight with Rodang in the future soon? I do. I do. I do see him getting another one. I think a trilogy match is going to be great because I think he was doing, he looked really good in the first yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know where his head was at. I spoke to him briefly and I could see the disappointment in his face after the second one. Um, but did you see how good he looked against Naito? Yeah. Wow. Great. I mean, yeah. he looked spectacular, you know? So, I, I mean, with this Mahmoudi matchup, if he can get by Mahmoudi and really put on an impressive performance like he did against Naito, I think he's he's right there, man, you know? Um, I'm going to say it. I want to see Jonathan Haggerty come to mixed martial arts. Yeah, I want to see him put on the little gloves, try to yep. see if he can sprawl and brawl, you know? So um, that's what I, that's what I love about one championship is the three sports, you know, you can jump around, you can, you know, you can just get new fans and you can try new things and you get new belts and it just creates so many intriguing opportunities for our athletes. So I'm really excited to see uh, how this one on TNT series breaks out. And I can see the excitement in you. And I hope the rest of our fans share that same sort of intrigue and excitement. Yeah. I'm conscious of time here. I've also got the Adam Weight tournament um, noted down here. But I will just say quickly, we've been talking for an hour or over an hour now. And we haven't mentioned Stamp Fairtex yet. Yeah. Yeah. You Man, think? you know, her last match against Rasuhina was... I could feel her heart break. You know, she says it wasn't a tap. It looked like a tap. The referee thought it was a tap. Yeah. But I was so impressed by the way that she was doing. Mm. She was cruising to a victory, you know? Yeah, and then right Rasuhina the got that well. guillotine. Spectacular. Rasuhina got that guillotine. And I just think it was inexperienced, yeah. you know? And if you're not in those situations a lot, you tend to panic. You know, and you don't know that you're okay. You don't know the time that's left. And, and I think that's just what happened. And I think she's going to learn from those mistakes. And I really think she's going to enter this Adam Waite Grand Prix. And she's going to showcase really all the developments that she's made as a mixed martial artist. But this Adam Waite World Grand Prix is going to be fire, man. And I know Angela Lee is waiting for the winner. She's waiting there with a little new baby, you know, and she's going to be watching these ladies throw down. We've got some new faces in the Adam Waite World Grand Prix, and we've got some some just exciting martial artists. That's going to be fun. What do you think that, about um, that Stamp Fairtex and Rasahina being on straight, an automatic rematch in the first round of the tournament? Do you think they should have maybe gone a different direction? or? Uh, you know, I think it's going to answer a lot of questions. You know, um, I'm not mad about seeing it again. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to, you know, it's going to really show what could have happened. And it'll give, you know, Rasuhina the, the opportunity to put all that to rest and say that I'm the true victor. 
or it gives Stamp that opportunity yeah. to say, yes, it was a fluke. I did make the mistake. I never tapped, and I'm going to finish her now. So it's, it's, I think it's great. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm not mad at a rematch. And it's, it's kind of insane how quickly she's picked up all aspects of MMA, isn't it? Right? Like I, but I think that's also the environment that she's in. Yeah. She's got a lot of really good coaches and training partners around her. And, you know, she's been, you know, she's gone to Muay Thai. She's gone to kickboxing. But don't be fooled. I think she was grappling the entire time. You know, I think, <laughs> I think she was working with DJ Jackson out there at Fairtex and Pattaya. And I think she was still training her ground game and really just developing all areas. So super grateful for your time today, Mitch. Um, just finally, um, one piece of advice that you would give to anyone watching this. You guys got to follow your dreams. You know, I know that's kind of cliche and it's said a lot, but, you know, speaking from experience, you know, I, I gave up a lot to do this. I had a, a corporate job. I had a safe job back at the States and then I got another corporate job back here in Asia. And I've always tried to chase things that ultimately didn't feel like work. And I tried to chase my, my passion and so many people kind of get stuck and they always think about the worst case scenario, but you got to stay positive. And I know times are hard for a lot of people out there and the world's thrown into chaos and it's everybody's going through a really tough time. But if you stay positive and you just do your best to help people keep your mission in mind, take one step closer to doing it and uh, everything's going to work out in the end. And I just wish people the best of luck and I hope you guys enjoy one championship because your guys are watching some heroes that are truly out there to try to change the world and hope to, you know, be an, an inspiration to, you know, the, the doctors of the world, the lawyers of the world and the people that want to chase their dreams. Look at what these one championship athletes have gone through, the, the things that they've overcome to get to where they are and hopefully, um, we can provide you with some sort of inspiration and, uh, you know, passion to pursue what's next in your life. I want to thank you so, so much today, Mitch. Um, we've gone over the time a little bit, but um, anything you've got to promote? We've done a lot of it already with the one on TNT shows, I think. But um, anything else you want to promote and where can people keep up with what you're doing? Oh, you guys got to check out one on TNT coming up in April. It starts April 7th. It's going to be four weeks straight. And then right after that, we got the Adam Waite Women's Grand Prix coming up. And then we've got one Dongal, which is going to be a huge event as well. Um, check me out. I'm on all the things, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. And uh, hey, man, Steven, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, looks like an hour and a half just flew by like yeah. that. So, uh, you know, best of luck in the podcast. Keep working hard, bro. Uh, I'm inspired by what you're doing. So uh, thanks for your time, bro. Thanks a lot, man.